Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. It's time for this week's episode of One Last Thing with co-host Slava Cooperstein. Slava, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Another great week for the Ravens. How about you? All kinds of fun. Uh, loving life. We're, we're you know at the top of the wave right now, just enjoying our position, as precarious as it might be in terms of the, the future of this season. At, at some point, very co- close, we're going to come to a point where um, the season either continues or ends very abruptly for teams when the, when the playoffs come and possibly even before then in terms of, of, uh, you know, a big elimination game of some sort. So uh, really enjoying this position right now, enjoying watching other football games too, as we've seen this week. Yeah. Yeah, Ken, absolutely. I, I and I do think it's incumbent upon us to offer our sincere condolences to Ravens fans who don't want us to get the uh, first seed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I feel for them. Uh, it's, it must be very difficult to know that we're inching towards that goal uh, every week. Yes. Well, um, I have less uh, things that I, I'm, you know, I'll give up on trying to, to generally uh, have that argument with the entire general population of Twitter, because it's really just a subset of, of people who really don't want the number one seed, but you know, they're, they're managing their own expectations. They're dealing with success in a way that works for them. And, uh, and it's a, it's a, a tough place to be, but believe me, being at the bottom of that wave and having it ready to crash on top of you is a lot worse. So, uh, so Ravens are in a good space here. Definitely. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to talk about something fun. And this was Slava's idea to talk about the, the Wallace, uh, kick return and punt return and where it fits among the great kick returns in Ravens history. And by the way, we decided to include all kick returns of all types. Anytime the ball was kicked and the Ravens ended up scoring, that's a kick return touchdown. <laughs> so that's right. Uh, and that includes a bunch of plays, right? Slava? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If the foot's, if a foot touches the ball and then the Ravens score, uh, you know, we, we, we considered it and uh, we have some great ones to go through. All right, so we're going to do some honorable mentions. Each of us had the exact same top five, but we had a ton of honorable mentions that don't make the list. And the fact that these plays don't make the list is a testament to what Ravens history has been. And if you if you you know if you weren't appreciating it, take a moment with us to appreciate just how great Ravens history has been because there are a ton of honorable mention plays. I'll go through two right away, and then you do two, and we'll kind of so we go a little quicker on this. Sure, sure. I, I, you know, one that's way down on the list is Lamont Brightful's 95-yard punt return versus the Bengals in 2003. Special return, and uh, you know you rarely see a punt return that long, but but it was a cool one. Uh, there was another one in a preseason game that I could point to where uh, Jermaine Lewis, I think, had a 97-yard punt return for a touchdown. So whenever you see those kind of uh, things happening, just just very special. Um, I, I'll, I'll just stop at two honorable mentions, let you throw on a, a couple now. Yeah. Um, so two, two that I would definitely, uh, include are, uh, the kickoff return by Jacoby Jones versus Minnesota in the 2013, uh, snow game, uh, which, uh, if people will recall, I had five lead changes in the last three minutes. Um, and I think, uh, Marlon Brown, uh, capping off of Marlon Brown uh, getting the final, uh, touchdown toe tapping in the back of the end zone, yep. uh, really, a, a really fantastic and, uh, fun game, uh, in a somewhat disappointing 2013 season. 
but yeah, Jacoby Jones, Mr. 108 uh, himself, uh, you know, uh, get, getting that kick return was was the, the third of, five, of those five lead changes. So that's mm-hmm. that's one of them. Uh, and another one is the um, uh, blocked uh, blocked punt for uh, for six by Ed Reed in uh, 2003 versus Seattle. Uh, triggered triggered the uh, massive comeback down 17. Uh, I believe Anthony Wright uh, helmed uh, mm-hmm. helmed the quarterback position for that game, and just like yeah, real highlight of that season. And uh, if I if I recall correctly, he 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 his he was ha- having gonna have a child. Uh, right, Anthony right? Wright, yes, that yeah. night. Anthony Wright, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, yeah, talking about Anthony Wright uh, that night. So it was a very special day for him. And just like one of those guys that you're always going to have affection for in Ravens history. Yeah, yeah very. That was a, that's just still one of the most incredible games. All kinds of parallels to this this game today in terms of the sound and the, and the noise of the crowd in a half-empty stadium was just uh, remarkable that day. Uh, another one, it, it, it can't make the list for importance of the game, but it was still really cool and special. And I believe is the only other time the Ravens have won the game on a kick of any sort was the blocked field goal six by Will Hill in 2015. Brent Urban playing his first game, blocked the kick, uh, goes over to Will Hills who scooped and scored in his big rave, a moment as a Raven, and uh, uh, and that was pretty cool. Uh, to go to another one that I would have on the list, it would be the B.J. Sam's fake reverse to Deion Sanders in the 2004 game at Washington. The Ravens came back on defense and special teams in that game. From 10 nothing down, Ed Reed had a strip sack and took it into the end zone himself. It was a, like a four-fecta or whatever you want to call it. It's not a yeah. trifecta anymore, right? Whatever they call it, a four-way like that. And then uh, uh, Sam's had the other big play in the game, which was was this uh, 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 punt return that was a um, uh, you know a fake reverse to Dion. They were both back there, and uh, that was just a, a very memorable play. Yeah, and uh, if anybody uh, doesn't uh, has hasn't seen the Will Hill uh, play in particular, the kick six against Cleveland, um, uh, I'd, I'd recommend going on YouTube and watching. It's a great call uh, on the on the broadcast. It's very exciting, and it's just like you know, just a just an incredible feat of athleticism uh, and a highlight in a disappointing twenty fifteen season. Mm-hmm. More honorable mentions. I think I'm pa- I'm tapped out. You got any more, Ken? Well, I got a couple. I mean, Jermaine Lewis had two games with two punt return touchdowns, and you gotta gotta mention those. He he had six total punt return touchdowns for the Ravens, but he had a, a pair against the Jets in the final game of 2000. He had a pair against Seattle in that 1997 win. The 1997 win was a close game, 31-24. Uh, it was a really nice uh, uh, win for the Ravens in their early history that is largely forgotten, but they beat Warren Moon in that game. And Michael McCrary was having kind of a little bit of a revenge game versus the Seattle team that had let him walk after the 96 season. So uh, positive uh, uh, things on, on that. And then that 2000 season finale, of course, the Jets passed all over the Ravens during that game for over 500 offensive yards. And people were wondering, you know, is the 2000 Ravens defense broken? We found out over the next four weeks it wasn't. You know, it was it was perfectly fine. But uh, uh, despite all of the passing yards and Vinny Tessaverdi had 69 passing attempts that day, he also turned the ball over, I believe, six times in the game or the Jets did uh, turn it over six times. And so uh, uh, those the Ravens only had five or six first downs in the game in the entire game, but they won the game 34 to 20 uh, with a 98 yard pick six. These two punt returns a stifling defensive effort in the second half in particular to uh, to get the ball turned over with short fields and whatnot, but uh, a pretty incredible game. So, and by the way, you can watch that one out on YouTube too. It's worth, worth a walk. One, one of the most statistically Baltimore games of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I lied. I do, I do have one more uh, honorable mention. That was the David Reed um, uh, return for a touchdown. I, Believe it was a punt return. Uh, could have could have been a, a, a kickoff return, but I, I believe it was a it was a punt return, and uh, uh, it was just kind of a you know nifty sort of like him slide uh, like you know breaking tackles and slipping through tackles, uh, uh, taking it taking it back for a touchdown. If I recall correctly, also that uh, game uh, ended in a uh, and this would have been 2010. Yep. Uh, and it ended in a walk-off touchdown, uh, pick, uh, pick six by uh, Josh Wilson, uh, former Terp, um, intercepting Matt Schaub uh, at, at, at the very end of the game to win it. Yeah, that was in that Houston game. Exa- you're exactly right. Kickoff return, 
Um, and, uh, and that is the game. I remember that game very fondly walking out of that. And, uh, uh, after Wilson had, uh, had got the pick six down in Houston, that was a, that was a great game. I, I don't know why, but the, like the image of like Matt Schaub looking like incredibly disappointed and then like Suggs coming Hugging up him. and giving him a hug. I mean, it's just like indelible and it, it is like burned into my mind and I don't know why, <laughs> but it is, uh, you know, I like Josh Wilson. He's, you know, a guy I'll always remember, uh, and, you know. That's that's just how the brain works, I guess. Great, great ball player. And there's a term that came out of that pick six that I still take. And by the way, Gruden kind of invented the term kick six. First time I ever heard it on the Will Hill touchdown. But there's a term that that, that came out that I now use all the time, and it's flotation device. It's a ball that hangs in the air too long. Wilson intercepted it and and, and took it back as, as just remarkably apt description of it. Well, let's get right into our top five. Your category, you name number five, I'll do number four, and so on. Yeah, number five is one of my absolute favorites. Um, uh, it's uh, Chris McAllister. Uh, uh, Chris McAllister's uh, uh, return of a field goal uh, against Denver in, in 2002. Um, you know, I, if I recall correctly, we beat Denver pretty handily in this game. Uh, and so it, it really makes this list the top five on the sheer coolness of the play. You know, it, it was a very long field goal that Denver was trying for. Uh, you know, McAllister was lined up in in, in the uh, end zone, uh, you know, in case that it didn't make it. And sure enough, it didn't. Um, and the coolest thing about this play, really, I think, is Ray Lewis, uh, <laughs> you know, basically, uh, you know, uh, you know, being there on, on special teams uh, close to the end zone, lined up as, as uh, McAllister's sort of personal protector, and just laying just the most vicious special teams block decleater that you will ever see. I mean, you know, John Madden was on the call and he's like, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, the other commentator was like, I'll, I'll do one of yours. Boom. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean that, you know, I, I don't know how that guy got up, but, uh, but you know, McAllister takes it down the sideline for a touchdown. It's a great, yeah. great play. The sort of block that would have dislocated everything in his body. It was just, a, it was a, a airborne, uh, block the guy had no way he could see it um so he was blocking away from the with the from the line of scrimmage which i think is legal <laughs> so hopefully anyway it was a legal block because it's one of the great ones of all time uh didn't go helmet to helmet or anything like that just caught him in the center of mass and launched him uh and I'm, I'm forgetting who the player that he did that to was but that was fun the other thing was good really fun about it and helped lewis line up that block was the fact that McAllister kind of initially walked forward, you know, in, indicating, you know, he's not going to run the ball out. And then Lewis is signaling him, you know, on right, the play. Right. And then all of a sudden he moves and boom, they, they you know, the hit comes up. <laughs> the defenseless, I'll call him the, the unaware Denver player, put the Ravens up 31 to three at the half of a game. They were a heavy underdog in and really started 2002 into being a very cool, although down year, of rebuilding where they went seven and nine. They established a number of defensive stars that year, even though they played very the worst defense that the, the franchise has pretty much ever played. They were 22nd in the league and um, in defensive cat DeVoe, I believe they might've been 22nd, but they're 22nd in terms of yards and or, or some such, uh, but it was a good, it was a, uh, it was a fun year despite it. And it was a great game that night. Something, something very special about those, uh, those Ravens teams with McAllister and Reed and, uh, and, and Ray is that they, they really did have kind of a mind meld uh, sort of, there were, there were a lot of very special plays that you would see, uh, you know, two, two or three of those guys involved in, in, in making it work because they just, they reacted so well to one, one of those guys making a play. They, you know, the transitional defense was really fast really break special. offense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, the, that's it. Well, I'll go to, I'll do number four and number four, I think is Sunday's punt six by Tom and Wallace. We had the exact same top five. So neither of us had to change their list at all for this. Uh, it is a special play, a game ending play. I love the fact that the Ravens celebrated like uh, hell. It was a little bit moderately some sportsmanship issues, getting back to the middle of the field to shake hands with the opponent after the win. But that's what happens when you have an exciting thing like this. And fortunately, there are a couple assistant coaches who hung back and were able to, you know, tap Stafford on the stomach as he's hitting 
as he's standing there at midfield tapping his foot, waiting for uh, you know Lamar Jackson to come back and shake his hand. Uh, and uh, Harbaugh had an interesting comment about it. But uh, Wallace, a lot of great things about this play. I thought one of the interesting things is how um, Harbaugh sees what he wants to see on the tape after the game. He talks about Kolar making a perfectly legal C-patch block. I think the C patch refers to it's the first time I've ever heard this term used is the captain's patch is typically in the upper right shoulder of the player. And so a C patch blocks mean you, you get around the guy to that part of the body where you can legally hit him as opposed to blocking from behind. Well, Kolar pretty clearly a block in the back on that play and it didn't get called, which is fortunate because the Ravens got, got some really bad calls against them the rest of the game. But uh, it, it, you know, Harbaugh calling it a C patch block afterwards Interesting terminology I'd never heard before and actually very funny in terms of being revisionist about the play itself. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think the better uh, argument, uh, you know, because I was trying to, you know, figure it out myself. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to throw a flag on that. But uh, but when I watch it again, I mean, it does seem that the the player is like diving at that point. Yes, uh, I so agree. I think so. So I, I think that if. Unless it was the ref just missing it, I think you know a ref might have just seen like he's already diving for the player, so it's not really a block in the back. Like he's not actually, you know, like e- even if he made contact, he's he's really not affecting the play in any kind of way. That's sort of what I thought, but uh, but yeah, this is this is a really important play, uh, both in terms of importance to deciding the game, right? Like it did decide the game completely and totally, and it also. Uh, you know, very important in this uh, part of the season uh, in in helping determine the Ray- uh, the Ravens' uh, uh, playoff seating, uh, and and also just has the benefit of just being a really remarkable play on, on its own merit. Uh, you know, there are probably three or four times that Wallace could have fallen to the ground and almost did, but uh, you know, he kept his balance. He uh, you know he uh slipped past a, a couple of tackles and uh and the call was great too so really this one had everything other than not being a playoff game the, the you know willing him to stay up what it felt like was watching the movie what's the movie with robin williams and kirk russell where they go to back to play the high school football game again that they've lost you know what i'm talking about right yeah 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 i um I'm blanking on the yeah, uh, yeah, on the thing. Maybe you could look it up for us while, 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 while just making this point is you know, on the on the ultimate play where where uh, uh, Robin Williams gets to come back in the game and play a wide receiver against Doctor Death, who's going to try and knock him knock him right off his pins at the line of scrimmage. He gets free at the line of scrimmage and makes a move, and then the ball comes to him and he can't kind of find it. And then he gets it. And it's it's he's all completely in the open field, but the ball's kind of behind him and whatnot. That's kind of what I thought when watching Wallace keep his feet down the sidelines there's nobody near him you know he's got the greatest block in the world from will hill on the i'm sorry not will hill from uh, justice hill on the punter yeah you know it's just he he maintained that whole thing he 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 completely pivoted him around so it's it's a it's a fantastic block but uh it's just it was it it was it had all of those qualities to it about all the times he might have gone down the best of times by the way is the is the the movie you look for uh excuse me uh yeah, no, great play, and uh, you know, an instant classic uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, so going to number our three. number three uh, would be uh, Jacoby Jones um, in the uh, a kickoff return uh, to start the second half uh, in uh, Super Bowl uh, in 2012, and uh, uh, just a just a fantastic remarkable return right up the middle um uh it's a cool play because the ravens were able to uh exploit a little known kind of special teams rule where you could have uh two uh two of your special teams players hold up uh uh one of the uh one of the opposing players you know like hold, like two two of them kind of pin a player and hold them up that's a technique that was allowed at the time and you were allowed to do that, so they they did that with great success to allow uh, Jacoby Jones to knife through the middle. And and my God, by the time he got through the middle, he was, I mean, I would be interested to know what the top speed was on that, that because would be cool. he was he was just like a like a gazelle, just just zooming past everybody, and uh, you know nobody there was just no chance anybody was going to catch him. It was uh, I think Jacoby Jones touched the ball twice in in that super bowl and i think uh both of those uh, resulted in touchdown uh which is a pretty cool uh statistic um 
you, you know, I, I, I think the importance of it is can can sort of be uh, un- undervalued a little bit uh, be- because of how hot uh, like how how much we were leading in mm-hmm. the beginning of that game. But what this really did uh, turns out instead of just you know turning turning a solid lead into a blowout, what it really did was give the Ravens the margin of error every bit of which they needed. Yep. Uh, you know after the lights went out. Um, uh, still, still, still looking for for a good explanation for for how all that went down. But uh, but uh, no, I mean it, the, the Ravens needed every bit of that uh, to 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 hold on from a f- furious 49ers comeback. Right. Now, this is I, I had an interesting kind of perspective on this game, and I completely agree with everything you said. That Super Bowl was fantastic in terms of its highs and lows and peaks and troughs, and coming back and getting Ray Lewis the the three down stop on fourth and second and five, third and five, and fourth and five. To have him finish the game was the greatest Mm -hmm. individual finish for a player in all of sports history, I would argue. And Ted Williams homered in his last at bat in a meaningless game, 161 or 159 or whatever it was. Uh, There there are players who've gone out at a similar level, but that one – is the greatest you know series of plays for the last three of a career that I think you could point to. He had individual contributions to all of them in terms of being in the right spot in coverage, setting Donnell Ellerby up for the game-winning um, uh, pressure and whatnot. But anyway, that game was very special to me from from that regard, and, and that cushion obviously was is part of um, uh, of what made it special. Uh, Jones, uh, uh, I, I, the, I guess the, the other perspective I think is important to me. I love this story is. I was sitting next to Harry Swain's wife for the game. We were just in a Ravens section, nothing planned or anything. Just happened to sit next to her. She had a bunch of kids with her um, and was managing them. And they were honestly not as into the game as they probably should have been. But uh, but she introduced herself, told me you know, what, what was going on and whatnot. And her immediate reaction when the lights went out, she did two things. She wrote down the numbers of her uh, of her phone on her kids' hands. Which was really smart. There were some, you know, kids were like five and six years old there. You don't want to get them getting lost in the Superdome yeah. somehow in that melee. But the other thing she did, she's immediately empathic about this situation. So there's a bunch of Ravens fans around cursing this situation. And yeah. she goes, Oh, this is so sad for all the people who run the Superdome in New Orleans. This is so embarrassing. Yeah. And, and you know, how can you feel for for somebody else in that time? Well, that's real empathy. And I, I was I was very impressed by her uh, personally in terms of, of of how she did it. I I could not manage that sort of empathy out of that situation. No, I mean it was a it was a long ride. Uh, you know those 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 uh early um harbaugh uh and flacco years uh were great but they also had some crushing playoff disappointments um and this was sort of the vindication of all of that and also a vindication of um some long legendary ravens careers which had up until that point gone unrewarded right like it's nice that ray got his second but ed reed uh didn't have uh you know a Super Bowl, Terrell Suggs, Haloti Nada. Like this game meant a lot uh, to to those of us who uh, grew up watching and loving those players. Yeah. The Ravens have been kind of fortunate. They had their Super Bowls 12 years apart. So most of the players, you know, that were that had been superstars in Ravens history were involved in one of those two games. Uh, Ray happened to be involved in two. And, uh, you know, Matt Stover missed out the second, but Justin Tucker get in, got in on the second. And that was that was really nice. Uh, but but most of the great Ravens of all time who were here for a lot of years were involved in one of those two games with Todd Heap being the notable guy who who missed out uh, in terms of his career, not uh, not hitting on either. Yep. All right. I'll go down to number two now. Um, how about the kickoff return by Jermaine Lewis that answered the kickoff return by Dixon um, in the in Super Bowl thirty five? Um, a great individual play there, by the way. Lewis came out, fielded the ball, I think around the 16-yard line. I think it was an 84-yard return, if I recall correctly, from Dalwiso. But the player who the, – the, the couple players that made the, made the um, uh, play um, – well, the biggest one. Let me, let me get to that because I'm forgetting who the fullback was who, who made the block. But uh, but there was, on, the, on the right sideline, Corey Harris is ahead of that play and effectively takes out – three people with one block. Now they're kind of all diving for Lewis at the sideline, but he blocks one guy who dominoes into another, who dominoes into a third kind of thing. If you go watch that play again, watch 
Jermaine Lewis tiptoe that right sideline. Watch what Corey Harris does um, to uh, improve that situation for him. It's, it's kind of a remarkable thing. I would think that play would be the highlight of Corey Harris's career. And he had some big plays for the Ravens, no doubt about it. But I would think that play, particularly what he did on it, was uh, uh, very special to him. Yeah, it's um, it's also a little bit underrated because of how lopsided the score was uh, uh, in, in the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, I, I think if you were watching the game live as a Ravens fan and you were in this moment of euphoria and all of a sudden the Giants have a excuse me, uh, 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 you know, a kick return for a touchdown, you, you start to think the worst, right? You're, I mean, you're, you're sort of dealing with it the same way that we were dealing with it when the lights went out in New Orleans. You're like, okay, this is how they get back in it. If they're getting back in it, this is how it's happening. Um, and, uh, and so when, uh, when, you know, Jermaine Lewis returned this kick, I mean, it sort of just was the, you know, punctuation at the end of the sentence. You're like, okay, the door's really shut. Very much so. And 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 I thought the Dwayne Starks interception, who, which was only like 36 seconds earlier, but the Dwayne Starks interception had put the Ravens up 17 nothing as he's returning that ball. I'm saying Super Bowl champions. That's the that's the Super Bowl right there. And uh, then Dixon returned the kick. And I, you know, at 10 points up, I didn't really have that same fear, but it was right around that time that. Trent Dilfer was also headed to the clubhouse, which meant Tony Banks was going to come into the game. And while the Ravens had not given a um, given up a ten point lead or anything like it during the season, um, you know they they had not, they protected every time. Not like you know the Ravens of the last couple of years and some of the problems they've had doing it. Um, there was not. I, I don't think there was a lot of risk at a ten point, but it was an exclamation point. It was like, no, you don't. We're back up seventeen right now, and and uh, and that was the end. And then the, the Ravens really. Uh, yeah, tacked it on after that with a 10-point fourth quarter. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so uh, I, you and I both agreed that the uh, number one uh, number one kick return would be the uh, return of the blocked field goal by Anthony uh, Mitchell in the 2000 uh, divisional round uh, against the uh, Titans, um, which was just a – I mean – that was really the Ravens Super Bowl, right? The Titans were the other most dominant uh, team and dominant defense in the entire NFL. Um, and I think there was a real feeling that if we got past that, you know, got that monkey off our shoulders, that we probably, uh, you know, stood a great chance to, to to win it all, which proved to be the case. But first we had to get past the powerhouse that was the uh, 2000 Tennessee Titans um, and, you know, a lot of people uh, will give credit to Ray Lewis's pick six, which is a great play, of course, uh, you know, that that did, you know, end up sealing the game, you know, ending any uh, any potential comeback uh, uh, from from Tennessee. But, you know, people don't remember the, the game was tied 10 to 10 mm-hmm. when when uh, Anthony Mitchell uh, returned the block field goal for a touchdown and gave us the lead. Uh and, and that happened before Ray Lewis, uh, you know, you know, sealed the game. So th- this was the huge momentum swing. Yeah, it was uh, it was a possibility of being down three to being up by seven. And neither team really had any had a lot of success moving the ball. But what success there was was by the Titans in this game. The Ravens had five first downs, I believe, in the entire game. So, you know, it was, a, it was a miserable offensive day for the Ravens. Their entire offense pretty much in this game uh, came down to one long pass to Shannon Sharp down the left sideline, which got him within range of the game-tying touchdown early. Uh, it's actually quite similar to the 2008 game in a lot of ways. The Ravens had a lot more going on offense that day, still not very much, um, but uh, but very similar because the, the Ravens' whole first half offense in that game was a long pass to Derek Mason for a touchdown. But then they scored on special teams. They scored on defense, of course, to to put that game away. And uh, and that was just a, 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 a it was my most fun day of football. And that individual play, forget all kick returns and whatnot, is the biggest play in Ravens history prior to the Mile High Miracle. And uh, it, it, it's um, uh, the Mile High Miracle got the game tied too. And I think you can make the claim that this did more for the championship uh, chances. The Mitchell field goal return than even the mile high miracle did but without the mile high miracle they wouldn't have won it in 2012 and they did so people have you know a revise 
you know, their thoughts about the thing. And they think that, yeah, the Mile High Miracle is more important. And the Mile High Miracle is definitely cooler in terms yeah. of, uh, of exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, and, uh, and all, you know, you get, you get the double overtime aspect of it. Like it's, you know, a, a very cool, uh, very, very cool moment, but you know, Anthony Mitchell returned at 90 yards, gave the Ravens the first lead of the day a lead that, which they wouldn't relinquish. And, you know, without it, we, we might only have one Super Bowl. So there you go. Well, let's, we, we wanted to talk about a couple topics today. I think we're, we're still going to try here, but we need to go a little quicker on these ones. And we're just revel in that, that topic because Slava, you clearly have a similar affection for Ravens history to me. And that's why I really appreciate one of the reasons why I really appreciate doing the show with you. So uh, always fun to, to do that kind of thing. But you mentioned this one also is, is the Ravens self-scouting their own deep passing game. And I think there were some things that came out of this game, but it's your topic again. Give me some of your initial ideas about um, what they can take from this game and maybe what's serious and maybe what's not as well. Yeah. I, I you know, I, it seems, it seems funny uh, to, to, you know, be picking on the deep passing game when, uh, when, when, if you, if you just looked at the box score, but, uh, but, you know, I, I think at this point you sort of, look at the Ravens deep passing game and, and, and think it's, it's dysfunctional. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, um, you know the like if you just looked at the two blown coverage passes, uh, you, you know I think uh, it was uh, it likely, and then uh, OBJ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Lamar actually throws those pretty short. Uh, in particular, if you look at the pass to Likely, he he threw it so short that it almost gave. Not short enough that likely had to come back to it, but but that likely couldn't continue going forward, and and almost gave defenders opportunities to catch up to likely. Mm-hmm. And he was, I mean, j- j- it was complete blown coverage. Nobody near him. Lamar should have been pretty confident to to you know put a little bit more air under that thing. And so, you know, I kind of put that on Lamar, like not having the confidence. I, I don't know where this lack of confidence is coming from. Whether it's a lack of confidence in his own ability, whether it's a lack of confidence in his receivers or the play call or whatever, but uh, play call doesn't really even come into it. It's just, it's a blown coverage and your guys open wide open. So, um, you know, it's, it's just something is not connecting. And then you look at something a little bit more like the uh, touchdown pass to Zay flowers on third and 17, which is more of one of those like line drive lasers you know, and, and, and I mean, that's just absolutely perfect. So, you know, the question is, you know, can we diagnose what's wrong with this deep passing game or do we sort of go the route of what, you know, Kansas city has done over the past couple of years and may, and, and sort of like implement more of a effort on short and intermediate passes that Lamar seems to be hitting quite well. Uh, you still need to have deep passes in your repertoire, but you know, I, I don't know the answer. I, I think some of the criticism you've got is fair there. And both balls, the, the ball to, to um, OBJ even more underthrown in terms of of uh, having to come back for it. And he threw he underthrew the interception in the in the uh, which was one of the other of nine long passes that he threw in the game. Um, I'm not as I'm not as critical as the one unlikely. I think that that he had to he had to throw that with the highest probability that that ball is caught. That's the most important thing. So I, I, an underthrow on that ball when there's no underneath defender of any sort um, is okay to me. It's just you, you can't underthrow the receiver, but you can underthrow and make the receiver slow down and, and and get the football and take a risk on not scoring the touchdown. Of course, likely very effective after on the, on the yards after catches. He has been these last couple of games in terms of uh, rolling through for a lot of yak. Um, there, there's some things about this game that made it an incredible – opportunity for deep passing so you had absolutely perfect passing conditions on sunday which seems funny given the rain but here's what we had we had rain uh, and it was moderate 
at times, and it was straight down rain. No wind to speak of at that stadium. There was there was fear that wind would be in the 15-mile-an-hour range. I was there. I'm telling you, there's nothing there. The flags didn't even move on that goalpost in part because they're probably adhering to it with the wetness of, yeah. of, of, of what they were. But but there was there was basically no wind. The, the, the ball was not wind, wind uh, impacted during the game. But what that meant is the field was very slippery. Pass rushers in particular to start with having a very hard time making the hard steps that they needed to get the power off that wet field to make um, you know, angular moves and moves that would help them um, get to the quarterback quickly. So all of the, the pass protection was holding up for longer on both sides, including 20 of 45 ATS opportunities by Lamar, which was the high for the entire season. You know, this is a team, you know, you're facing Aaron Donald. You expect it to, to have some pressure situations occur. Um, Lamar exploited those fairly well for 10.6 yards per pass. One of the interesting things about the Ravens defense is um, they had a very similar number. It was over 40% for um, Stafford, and he only threw for just over six yards per pass on his ATS throws. So it's one reason why I don't really think the Ravens pass defense is broken coming coming out of this game. Um, The other thing was when you have extended play times like that, you have an extra opportunity for the route to be fully run by the receivers. Well, what does that mean? They get to the top of the stem, they make their move, they try and juke the defensive back, and they have an opportunity to affect him. And that's something several of the Ravens receivers, Bateman, OBJ, do very well. We obviously have Flowers, who's an extremely sudden athlete who can also lose someone. So the more of that you have, the more you have a chance to get open receivers late in the play. Lamar had a lot of that. I don't think he was perfect by any stretch in this game. I thought he actually was just a slight amount ahead of his opportunity set for the game. But I think there were things to look at that you'd say this was a this was a good day for the intermediate and long passing game. Yeah, uh, um, in in particular, you know that twenty to you know fifteen to, to twenty five yard uh, mm-hmm. kind of range um, was was very effective. Uh, but those you know they've got to connect on some of these long bombs. Um, uh, because you know, at, at some point the game might come down to one of them. So they got to figure it out. I, I, I had one extra thing to ask you about this. How much does Monken have to take a page out of the Nelson Aguilar playbook now with regard to how to design routes that specifically create unselfish receiving dragging of safety attention um, away from the play? Aguilar, you know, as that's described, as you can see it, and as Aguilar's reaction would tell you on the sideline after the play, was his idea. Okay, so you got Lamar confirming it. The only person who hasn't yeah. said, yeah, it was Aguilar's idea is Monken. I haven't heard him you know, <laughs> come to the fore and do that. But um, uh, Aguilar you know, saying, I'm going to run right at that safety and I'm going to take him out of the play. That's just, you know, that's a, that's a receiver who understood the whole set of route combinations that were going on at that point. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm shocked that a wide receiver and not a coach is the one figuring out what needed to happen on that play and on the field in real time. And by the way, this is another page in the on-field smarts thing that goes in the Roquan Smith late tackle at two at the two-minute point, and in the opposite side of Flowers going down, you know, uh, uh, or, or the fair catch by Flowers against the Colts, those kind of things. Um, it, it's it, it really helps to have players who understand what's going on right on the field at the same time and not just to them. So a couple things. Um, it was very cool to see Lamar immediately giving Nelson Aguilar credit and, and understanding that, number one. Number two, as far as unfi- on-field situational awareness, there, you know, Aguilar had a mixed day, right? He, had, he did that, but then he also, mm-hmm. um, he also did not. Uh, yeah, ran out of bounds when he shouldn't have. And, uh, and, and then, uh, the, the, the other sort of, uh, uh, important, um, the other sort of important thing is, uh, is that, uh, when Lamar kicked the ball, uh, out of the end zone for the, mm-hmm. uh, for the safety, that was such a smart play. I mean, first yep. of all, he looked cool as hell doing it. I mean, it was not a good play for us, but he just yeah. looked so cool and so athletic doing it, um, that, uh, that you know that but it, it was good of him to really understand that situation right away mm-hmm. yeah it was a was a very smart play no doubt about it and and i i wouldn't have even want lamar going to the ground taking a potential hit or be getting piled on uh you know in a scrum for the football down there so that's the that was the way to do it uh no reason to try to recover that ball in the end zone when there's no real difference to it um 
All right, I think we've covered that topic pretty well. I got one more thing to say about it, and that is really happy to see Keaton Mitchell being part of the pass game when he is. And and unfortunately, this game might have taken him out of, of some passing situations because he really had a lousy game as a pass blocker. But when he is in there, um, he's a guy who runs a lot of the gadgetry and it allows Flowers to run more deep, intermediate and deep routes where he's going to be of much more use to the Ravens. So uh, by all means, um, more Mitchell is good, more pony with Mitchell. Um, it, it, you know, it was very exciting to see in this game. And But Mitchell alone in the backfield helps the Ravens deep passing game without him ever running a route personally. Yep, couldn't agree more. All right, well, let's move on because we've had a great uh, couple of weeks now of watching football getting excited by game after game going the Ravens way. And, and you know, another one with the Titans and Dolphins and just one of the coolest freaking finishes you'll ever see for a lot of reasons uh, on Monday night. But uh, uh, take us through your weekend of watching football and whatnot. Well, it just, it just made me, it made me laugh again. Like I keep, I keep picking on these people that don't want the first seed uh, number one seed, but you know, it's like, if you pose the question like this, if you were like, if I could guarantee that you would win your first playoff game during wild card weekend, that you guarantee a win and that there are absolutely no injuries. Are you going to take that? Yes. Everybody's going to say yes. Well, that's what the first round pie is. Uh Right. Um, And uh, you know, it it was just, it was just phenomenal to see uh, you know, to in particular to see, uh, Kansas City and Miami; those were the two big ones that, you know, I wasn't really, you know, sure about. Like, like a uh, uh, Jacksonville also lost, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, that one I wasn't as, you know, concerned about. But like, those are two games that those teams really, um, you know, really needed and didn't come away with. And and like you and I were talking about last week, Buffalo was to me the the stood the best chance uh, of, of, of beating Kansas city of their remaining games. So if they were going to lose at least one, that, that was going to be it. And they did, um, you know, and it's just like, wow, how, how, how many times are the chips going to fall in the Ravens favor? They, they certainly have so far. And it really just, it, it shows that there's a lot of um, uh, beatability across the entire rest of the conference. The Ravens are the only team, which has really looked like, um, they're capable of winning any, every single game, any, any any single week, and they didn't three times by blowing the lead in the last two minutes. But uh, they've they've won every other game, and they really should be uh, thirteen and zero at this point. So uh, a nice uh, uh, nice season uh, they're having. I I don't think I, I hope that fans will at least be happy for the possibility this game is played at home, the, the AFC Championship game. Season ticket holders really deserve it. Um, we've waited all of Ravens history to get a, to get a home game. And this isn't just about my own desire to be, I'd be at the game no matter what I'll go on the road. I'll, I'll, I'll go at home. And I've, I follow the Ravens to a number of road playoff games. And I, I, I don't, um, I don't have a problem doing that. There are nice things about being a fan on the road, but it's a lot more fun to be celebrating with 70,000 of your friends than with 6,000 of your friends for a road game. So uh, as, as well as the Ravens travel, it's just uh, that's something I want to do. And the atmosphere in that stadium was just playoff like in terms of the win over the Rams and the amount of crowd noise. And uh, if I, I think if you don't appreciate that as a fan, there's no need for you to go to a football game. At least, you know, I, I can't understand necessarily what your need is to go to a football game live. Yeah. What do you um, uh, you know, some people were sort of saying that they would have preferred Buffalo to lose this week to, to keep, you know, to kind of put a nail in the coffin for them uh, for their playoff chances, which I can understand to an extent, but I, I don't think the benefit of that comes anywhere close to the possibility of us securing a first round by and securing home field advantage throughout the playoffs. What, what do you think? I'm in the same place. I I'll, I'll, we'll take our chances with Buffalo if they're the eventual opponent, um, what the, the bad situation could arise that Buffalo, I'm going to put in quote to air quotes, upsets whoever they play in the first round and the reseeding sends Buffalo to Baltimore for the first playoff game. That would be the the, the big negative. So I want Buffalo out. But in terms of, of putting a nail in Kansas City's coffin, much more important. And, you know, what's going on with the Chiefs right now? Um, 
it could boil up to a higher level. I don't think there's a real chance that Kansas City won't make the playoffs, but right now Mahomes and the rest of his team in in part are at each other's throats a little bit about what's going on and and you know the behavior after the game. We've never seen that sort of behavior from Lamar. We've seen him slam his helmet down, but but him to you know go off screaming at at, at somebody the way he did um I, I didn't think that looked good at all. And then I, I think that the, the, the Chiefs and, and Andy Reid are going to have to do some damage control this week to make sure that clubhouse doesn't eat each other alive. So uh, uh, hopefully that that's something that messes up the Chiefs. Yeah, and Ken, I'll tell you, if, if Lamar did something like that, we wouldn't hear about it until the end of his next contract. I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's outrageous to, to meet Josh Allen in the middle of the field and just complain to, to him. Like if I were Josh Allen, I would have been like, okay, bro. Well, uh, sucks to suck, I guess, you know, like (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I think the AFC playoff picture is going to be pretty brutal no matter what, you know, uh, if Cleveland gets in, they're going to be brutal to play. If Buffalo gets in, they're going to be brutal to play. You know, I, I, I'm not that worried about Jacksonville, but, you know, given, given their injuries and stuff, but Trevor Lawrence is still a threat. You know, it's, yep. there, there's a lot of talent you can lose to any of these teams. I think that like, as fans, we have this, like, you know, we're dreaming up the perfect scenario, but you, you have to deal with like the likelihood of things to happen, right? Like for Buffalo to get in, they're going to have to win a lot more of their games. Um, and even if they do, it's still you still want to be the team that was good enough to to secure that first seed, and you still want your opponents to not be good enough to secure that first seed. So, so it's it's all good things, I think. Yeah, I do think Buffalo is really the only potentially scary team that they would face in the first game at home. I think all of the other potential wild cards, and I'm not I'm, I'm presuming that Kansas City is not going to fall and somehow lose the division to Denver, which I think is very unlikely. I'm presuming that. Miami is going to hold on for the two seed, which is no sure thing, but it's but it's probable. If Miami were to drop to the four seed, I think they might be the most dangerous team that the Ravens could potentially face in that in that first game, because uh, you know two would play three and one would play four if if all the results of the wild card games go you know according to seeding. Um, but but I, but anyway, I I think you know you're right that the Ravens just need to play whoever they play, and um, it's it's like getting a bye in the in the World Cup after the round of uh, after the one of the pool play, and you might get an easy game in your first round of pool play, but you never get an easy game in the second. Then it's everybody's uh, there's no no um, fake phone, no phonies are remaining after that uh, after that first round of elimination games, and that's you know where the Ravens will be. So. They'll play who they play. They'll play them in Baltimore. They'll be a favorite, whoever it is, whoever it is, they will be a favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that means, you know, Kansas City, Miami, Jacksonville, Buffalo, all those teams are, are fine teams. Ravens will be favored by three against any of them uh, and by more against others. So, uh, you know, it, it, it'd be something to look forward to in, um, in terms of that. I did want to. First of all, I'll let you respond to that, but I did want to. I did want to go over and talk about what are the scenarios now that get the Ravens in because I think some interesting ones have opened up. Yeah, I know. I'm just now. Now I'm just trying to imagine what what the the coolest string of playoff victories would be like. You know, like we beat Flacco in the divisional round. We beat Mahomes in the AFC Championship, and then you know, who who the hell cares who we beat in the Super Bowl? As long yeah. as we win, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not feeling like they have to play San Francisco or Dallas or even Philadelphia in the, in the Super Bowl, but it probably will be one of those teams if if they got there. Uh, but anyway, I, I, playing if they play that conference championship at home and they take their shot and maybe they win it and maybe they don't, and they'll probably be a, a favorite because they are the best team in the AFC legitimately right now. I don't think there's any question about that. Then. Uh, if they happen to lose it, it's it's a it's a bad loss, but it's it's not the kind of thing that's going to um, dishearten me for all time in terms of of opportunity. But it will be a um, it will be a missed opportunity if they get the one and they lose in in either of those first two rounds. Yeah, it'll be, uh, getting to playing in the AFC Championship and playing in it at home, I think, is a successful season. Yeah, 
Yeah, I have to have to call it that too. All right, well, let's look at the various ways because there are now um, multiple scenarios to get them there. And, and to simplify it as far as I can, and you know, reducing logical expressions to, to the to their lowest order is what I'm trying to do here. If they go in four and zero, oh, they've got it. They've got it done. If they go three and one, Miami must lose any game. It could be to Baltimore. It could be to someone else. But Miami must lose any game, and the Ravens huge, are number one. Huge benefit. I mean, the, the, Miami actually has. Uh, some some tough games, you know. Like uh, you know, I didn't realize this until somebody tweeted it out uh, last week. Buffalo but they, they have to play, yeah, Buffalo and Dallas. Buffalo's playing for their playoff lives, and they just took it to Kansas City. And Dallas is looking le- legitimately like the best or second best team in the NFC by a wide margin. Yeah, the problem with with losing to Miami and still getting in is that the Ravens probably will not go three and one if they lose to Miami. They've got a they've got a real risk of losing any of their other games. Jacksonville on the road, San Francisco on the on the road, or Pittsburgh at home in Week 18. They're all you know risks of of losing a game. Uh, so the chance of them winning all three is fairly slight if they don't beat Miami. So that Miami game still is pretty important. But here's where it gets interesting: if the Ravens go two and two. They need all of the following to happen, and they still get the number one seed. And the, the, all the following is one more Cleveland loss in four games. Okay, they've got Joe Flacco at quarterback, and they're it is Joe Flacco until the end of the earth right now for the Cleveland Browns. That with the way he's played, ain't no way he's getting replaced by anybody else. Nope, and shouldn't he shouldn't be? And, and you know, in, in a way, Baltimore fans are kind of rooting for him, but but they have to get a loss in here in these last four games. Jacksonville has to lose one game. It could be to the Ravens. It could be to someone else, but Jacksonville has to lose one game. Kansas City has to have one more loss. That might be the toughest, but I keep hearing from everybody that no way is Kansas City losing another game with Mahomes. You know, they're going to get, well, BS guys. They've lost the last two ball games. They look like a really lost football team at this time. I'd say it's significantly less than 50% that they win their last four games, even against a fairly easy schedule. Yeah. And then the, the four things happens either Baltimore has to beat Miami, which would 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 take care of Miami for good, or Miami has to have two other losses. And as you mentioned, they play Buffalo and Dallas, so that remains a possibility. So the best two and two scenarios basically have Baltimore beating Miami and Baltimore beating Jacksonville for their two wins. If those two were to happen, um, uh, they actually could still have the one seed um, sealed up by going just two and one prior to week 18. So uh, Cleveland would have to lose a game. Kansas City would have to lose a game during that time, but it, but it is a possibility. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think, I think the conventional wisdom, you know, going into the, even before this weekend is above all else, we have to take care of business against Miami mm-hmm. and Jacksonville. Um, and uh, even though, the results of this week have opened up other possibilities. It's still the clearest path uh, to victory. You take care of those two games, um, then your chances of, you know, being able to withstand a loss to the Niners, um, as well as, uh, you know, as, as well as this very, you know, you know, not having to play your starters against Pittsburgh. Now, like we could certainly discuss whether that's the best option, but uh, please do. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've talked about this a little bit before. um, uh, And, you know, it's, it's going back into 2019, right. Where we had just a ton of games uh, where a, a ton of games where Lamar wasn't playing in the fourth quarter uh at all or maybe played one drive in the fourth quarter which makes his season even all the more remarkable because he actually didn't play in so much as so many minutes of the games um and the decision to sit lamar entirely in that uh game against the steelers uh and then by week and then coming out kind of flat against the titans um you know i i i tend to think that what should drive your decision to make you just need to have a good reason for doing whatever you're doing uh, you know, my nephew and I talk about this stuff all the time and he, he, he kind of paints a distinction between the 2019 Ravens and this season's Ravens in the 2019 Ravens are were on such a historic role mm-hmm. and they had such a momentum going and they were so dominant that, you know, maybe they're, maybe their tires, you know, flattened a little bit, uh, 
you know, maybe they lost a little bit of momentum going in. And I don't see the same thing with this team. Uh, I think this team has it, it obviously is not as dominant as the 2019 team offensively, mm-hmm. uh, even though I do think that they can do some things that the 2019 team w- wasn't able to do, uh, particularly in the passing game. But the thing that this team really has is the defense that I think is going to – is so scheme-driven, right? And that's not going to go away from, uh, you know – missing missing some practice and you can only sit so many guys anyways right mm-hmm. so if i were kind of gaming out what i thought would be the best kind of option to do it is any, anybody who's any kind of injury risk to the extent that you can sit them right i wouldn't play ronnie stanley at all morgan moses um, yeah or, or, or morgan moses uh well so here's here's where you get into it right like let's say you want lamar to play a drive or a quarter or whatever uh I wouldn't necessarily sit, you know, all my <laughs> offensive starters and, and leave him to TJ Watt just launching in the people's legs uh, as he would want to do from time to time. Um, I, you know, but I would I would limit those guys and and just have them prepare, you know, another week of preparation, another week of saying we're going to go out here and we're going to execute for a drive or something like that. Uh, I think there could be some real benefit to that. But if you want to say we don't want to roll the dice, we don't want to, you know, t- take the chance. I think I think. There's a real reason for that, and I think you can, I think you can, hang hang your hat on that and be proud with that decision. It could be a Malik Cunningham game in the fourth quarter um, if the Ravens get to it. And frankly, the Ravens could be highly incented to lose that game to Pittsburgh. Now, the the big scenario that I would look at is they might want Buffalo out and Pittsburgh in. I would. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Eleven so, times out of ten. Yeah. So anyway, that's they 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 could well be in a position where they they want nothing to do with Buffalo and they and they you know even though the familiarity and contempt that goes between the uh, uh, Steelers and the Ravens and also giving the Chiefs uh, kind of an easier first game if that's who plays them Chiefs or Miami whoever plays them it's an easier game to play my uh, to play Pittsburgh I would say it's also a very physical game for that team and and they would uh, you know potentially face some some injury risk from. Uh, Watt and the and the Steelers defense going off on either of those offenses, which you know those are the strengths of the team. Uh, I, I really think it's a good chance to get Miami out of the playoffs. Honestly, if if they're the matchup right now, Miami does not look like a good matchup at all for Pittsburgh in the in the playoffs, given their offensive line woes right now. Yeah, yeah and, and you know, I mean, my God, if there's a chance to keep Buffalo out of the playoffs and put Mitch Trubisky in there. Yep. I mean, you know, you, you you do that every day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it, I, I like the idea of sitting there, guys, in week 18. And, you know, sample size is part of the issue here. You, you can't torture the data you have from 2019 for any more information than it actually is. It was one instance under some tricky wind conditions that helped cause the first um, interception off, off Andrews. And. Uh, you know, a, a basically a game script that, that that consistently rolled against the Ravens as they move forward in there, forcing them to take more risky plays, which pu- heaped up more of their result from that game into a few plays, including those four fourth downs they they failed on. Um, it, it's just it, it was an unfortunate set of circumstances, and and it's not something that I'd say you should be projecting forward to. And there has been some failure. The number one seed has had some failure. Um, at times. And part of that is that, you know, whoever you face in the second round of the playoffs is tends to be a pretty damn good football team. And oftentimes an undervalued wild card team you might get. Um, but it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a risk that, that you take and just look back to this last week and Justin Matabike coming back from a concussion. I don't think that happens if the Ravens don't have this bye week here in, in, in this position. And, think about all the potential gains from potentially getting Hamilton back after an extended absence yeah. um, or being able to rest him for additional time with that knee and have him be a hundred percent or, you know, 93% for, for a playoff game where, you know, he, he wouldn't be for the Pittsburgh game. I think it would just be an enormous bonus. So the Ravens really need, need to make sure they convert this number one seed opportunity. They'll, they'll, they won't have another chance as good um, anytime soon in all likelihood. Yeah, and and if you're going to be intellectually honest about what happened in 2019, you go back and you look at, you actually watch that game, and Lamar really wasn't. I mean, Lamar had some mistakes. 
uh-huh. uh, and and in particular, like at, at that point when everything's going wrong, he's going to lay it out there and and and, and you know and, and take some risks. But there were plays where he was hitting his receivers, Mark Andrews included, in the hands, and they Willie weren't secure, Yeah, and and they weren't securing the ball, and that led to some turnovers as well. So when you want to talk about like rust or whatever, Lamar wasn't the issue, right? And also, this is why the Ravens have approached their receiving core in a different way now, right? It's almost like a numbers game, right? We don't have all the eggs in one basket receiver-wise, right? You, the, the talent is much more evenly distributed along the, uh, along the lines. There are a lot of guys, you know, if, if Zay Flowers isn't the guy that day, you know, there have been times where the guy has been uh, Aguilar, where the guy has been Bateman, where the guy has been OBJ, particularly recently. Um, so the Ravens are going to have a lot of options. You have to believe in your talent. And I, I, I think the Ravens do. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see, but uh, you can, you can count me as uh, those, one of those pushing for the uh, number one seed. All right. Well, very cool. Looking forward to it. Slava, always a pleasure to do this show with you. We thought we didn't maybe have enough material. We'd add another topic. We're going to leave that in the green room for another time here, but uh, uh, great talking football with you. Tell folks where they can attend. Talk football with you online. I'm on Twitter at Slava Cooperstein. That's S-L-A-V-A-K-U-P-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. All right. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Had some great stuff. Um, one thing I'd like to be have people on the lookout for, I would love you to send me visuals you see on Twitter. Forward them to me via DM because I'm going to be doing a series this offseason on um, great visuals that are available about the NFL that I think ought to be a lot of fun. So forward me ones you see. Uh, we've had we've seen some good ones from Sam Hoppen, from uh, Arjun Mehta, and other people like that who have been men and I'm sorry who've been on the show before. Uh, they've been excellent, but I really want to want to see those as well. And of course, if you want to do a Film City Short, DMs always open uh, on Twitter. For Slavis Cooperstein, this is Ken McCusick saying goodbye, and we'll talk to you next week on One Last Thing.